As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And I am joined by my friend and colleague and uh, the person who is teaching me how to make homemade pizza and pasta and really all sorts of things. So I'm never going to leave my house to buy store-bought items again. Michael Felder from Stadium. Hello. Uh, hour back. I'm super excited. I saw your homemade pasta. It looked delicious. I'm sure it, it tastes... It was. I'm sure it tasted even better, and that's the cool part about it. And once you don't have to do that, it's it's freeing. You can do it at any time. You maybe you you, you store some 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 sauce and a little bit of noodles in the freezer. You can roll them out at any time. It's a quick meal. Um, but honestly, and you said my friend and colleague, I want to just give you some props. Sports writer of the year. Come on, let's go. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like that's a, it's a big deal. I like I've really appreciated the work that you've done all season, uh, the work that you've done all year, not all season, all year in turn because a lot of folks don't realize this, but we didn't really have an off season because we weren't sure what was going to happen with college football, and so even in the summertime, when usually listen, usually we're Mungo Jerry out there in the summertime, right? When the weather is hot, we're doing the thing, and now this summer it was always it was a bunch of will they, won't they, and you did a lot of really good reporting. So I just wanted to say. What is it? National Sports Media Association, Sports Writer of the Year, Auerbach. Praise, hail, let's go. Thank you. And I think I, I think you're right. Like it, it actually was way more chaotic than the season. And that never happens. I mean, it was, you know, the the NCAA tournament's but never been canceled. I mean, this was a year that sports had not experienced in our lifetime. And I think that that was um, something that was really rewarding about this was that it was for covering the hard stuff. I think a lot of people, you know, especially in college football space, like did not want to touch COVID, didn't want to talk about it. Um, Really up until like the season schedules actually changed, pretended it wasn't going to affect the season. So that was pretty rewarding. Um, But I am glad that we have completed the season and that vaccines are being distributed and there's a lot of hope about 2021 being a lot more normal and i'm excited for that as well but thank you i appreciate that and um you know it's been really fun to get to do this podcast which by the way i mentioned this at the end as well but this podcast is staying weekly 
in the off season. So power hour is not going anywhere. And, you know, we will probably get into some updates about my pasta making skills. Pizza needs some work. That one's, that one's a little harder, but these are my new skills because we're heading into off season mode and I now have more free time and I'm just going to become even more of a hermit than I already am. But before we get into true off season mode, which for Michael Felder and probably me is a lot of Bravo TV, we're going to talk about the game. We are going to talk about Alabama thoroughly beating down Ohio State. Nick Saban's seventh national championship. He passed Bear Bryant. It was a game that I think in many ways went as people expected it to. Because, I mean, Alabama was favored by, what, eight and a half points Mm -hmm. during the game. I think people figured it would come down to whether or not Ohio State could keep up. It was going to be a game of touchdowns. And they were for a bit, and then the wheels fell off. And and Alabama stretched that lead going into halftime. It didn't even matter that Devontae Smith wasn't available in the second half. Um, I guess clearly our listeners have probably watched the game. They've seen highlights. They, they know what happened. When you think about this game, now that we have had a few hours to kind of step back from it, what do you think you're going to remember either this national championship team or this game like what 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 is the number one thing for you? Number one for me is going to be uh Sark's use of personnel packages to force mm. forcing Ohio State to stay in base personnel based on Miller Forrestall and Billingsley being in the game. That's my number one thing I'm gonna take away from it. Number two, probably for me, and trigger warning for all of the dog lovers out there, but Ohio State felt a lot like Old Yeller, and they got a little foamy at the mouth, and they growled at Alabama a little bit, and Nick Saban had to take them behind the shed. And Felder. That's the reality. Like, they, they showed that they could be dangerous, didn't they? It, there is a dog that regularly barks and squeaks on this very show, and you just made this comparison. But they showed they could be dangerous. They had to be dealt with, and I think that for me – and I'm I, I'm so I'm this is these are my notes. I'm staring at my notes right now from the game. Uh, very just for for listeners who can't see this, um, you can't read it. It is illegible. But it's the first quarter with 30 seconds to go, and he 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 went for it on fourth down. And he's been doing that a lot more than he did earlier in his career. And to me, the literally the note just says Saban wants to kill them. He wants he knows yeah. if he leave if he lets them hang around and tries to play the 24 to 17 football game. They might do something special and get a touchdown. So I've got to put these guys down. And he did. And I think it was it was remarkable. I think Sark called a really good game. Um, I mean, the way that he – and we'll get into it with whether it's Devonta Smith or Najee Harris. But I think that, honestly, the biggest takeaway for me – the two biggest takeaways are Nick Saban recognized he could be in trouble, so I have to kill this threat. And I think about that all the time when I watch football where it's, you know, it's going into half – I mean, they scored in 41 seconds. 41 seconds they scored which, to make it 35-7. That's crazy. Which we have we have talked about that a lot on this show, and I think the Florida game and the SEC championship was such a good example of there are certain teams. This is why we weren't that excited about the Notre Dame game, right? Yeah. Like there are certain teams that can score like that yeah. and keep pace. And Ohio State – with a healthy Justin Fields, full complement of receivers, Trey Sermon, so that there's a run game threat. That team can do that. The not perfect, not fully 
you know, healthy and the full complement of players version of Ohio State couldn't. Yeah, no, you're. I think you're spot on. And so he Saban recognized they can be dangerous, but I got to, I got to, I got to get out of here. And then the other part was again I, the the first thing that I mentioned was the the use of twelve personnel. And so for people listening that don't understand this, so when you play twelve people, it is one running back, two tight ends. And when you have twelve people in the game, that's usually uh, a base or a heavy set. And if you have a base or a heavy set, that means you keep all your linebackers in the game. The problem becomes Najee Harris splitting out into the slot. He caught a tunnel screen. What are we doing? Najee Harris out into the sl- out out wide. He was playing like basically what you would usually call your Z or your X out wide and that forces people out of the box and it changes the picture and it makes you show your hand as a as an all as a defense and it was remarkable to watch them be able to do that and I just I really the, the this this is I for a long time if I was going to rank saving game plans uh Nicole I would rank the 2009 game plan against Florida at number one where it was McElroy and Tempo and figuring out how to get things done, and they just completely flipped the script on Florida, and they started – McElroy became – he ran a couple times, and it was crazy. That would be number one. Number two for me would be 2015, I believe, against Clemson, where he did the onside's kick. They ran a different return. I think it was like a blast left or a blast right or, right or whatever it was for Kenyon Drake to score and found a way to win that football game. I think this is number one for me because – it's not just individual plays that are doing it. It's plays plus packages that create. And I think about it, you have to think about it in reverse too. Saban's a defensive guy. And he knows from a defensive standpoint, and I'm giving Sark credit. I am giving Sark the credit. Sark drew up, called some amazing plays. He called some sequential plays that were awesome that we'll get into with respect to Devonta Smith. But the reality is Saban also knows if I've got all my linebackers in the game, I can't cover everybody. And how do we keep all their linebackers in the game? Because remember, going into this game, we talked about it, their linebackers were the best part of this team for Ohio State from a defensive standpoint. And so they felt good about having their best their best unit in the game, except now we've made your best unit completely discombobulated, and I don't think there's a better um, microcosm of that than, than Tough Borland trying to cover Devonta oh. Smith down the field. <laughs> That was a tough moment, and it was very relatable because that would be like if any of us tried to follow Devontae Smith. I mean, it would be uglier, but I think you're right because that showed the mismatch and the ability that Alabama had to put Ohio State in a mismatch, and I think that that's a good place to start. I think we are going to get into the individual player performances, but Sark and the fact that that was basically a four-hour recruiting pitch for Texas – I think is a big deal. Like there are, we're going to talk ourselves into Texas coming back. We're going to, we're going to build into that hype because we saw what he can do. We know the players are going to be different. He's going to have athletes though. He's going to have to figure out the defensive side of the ball. We always, you know, we thought Tom Herman was going to be able to get things going at Texas. That didn't happen. But I do think it's all of the pieces of the puzzle that you just talked about the way the game plan was set up, executed. The fact that there were so many plays that looked simple and other teams would get three or four yards and they were getting 15, 20. Mm-hmm. That's, th- those pieces are going to carry over. That's just Sark and calling a great game and putting the best athletes in space. 
No, he. I, I think Sark called a remarkable game, which I love that. I love I love a well-called game, a clean-called game. That's why Ralph Friedgen's still one of my favorite offensive minds out there. I think he's one of the best play callers that we've seen in college football probably in the last 30 years. But Sark called a great game, and those things do carry over to Texas, and this was an ad for – I mean, we saw – literally, we saw an ad from Texas come out <laughs> talking about – look, look at what our coach did. He's going to bring that here, and then – you throw in they've got some really explosive players there so it's going to be really cool to watch that take place but to 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 circle back to the actual game I I mentioned the fourth down go for it at the end of the first quarter I thought that was really important um the next thing for me and I kind of want to get into the players now and obviously we can start with the MVP um Devonta Smith I want folks who are listening to this if you're going to rewatch this game I want you to rewatch it with 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 a smart eye with a kind eye with an eye that with an eye for attention and attention to detail if you watch the start of the second quarter, Devonta Smith, and what you're going to see is a little bit of what looks like orbit motion coming back across the formation, and seven banks, and what they tell you as a corner, what they tell you as a defensive back is if you're in man and you have to travel with motion, you have to outrun him to the, to the outside of the tackle so that you can cover him to the edge. Well, guess what? Seven banks is trying to do that, and then what happens? On the snap, those big, tall guys stand up. The big, tall guys stand up, and he sticks his foot in the game. He sticks his foot in the ground, and he, he's going left to motion, left to right in motion, sticks his foot in the ground, and goes back to the left side. He's uncovered. That's a touchdown. And, and I want you to watch that play and then compare that to the second quarter at 324 mark play where he does a zigzag motion where Banks is so worried about him breaking back to where he's coming from that he can't get over the top and by the way it's a pick play too Miller Forstall Miller Forstall for the big pick that was a way, that was I mean they never call it anyways but the zigzag motion is get seven banks completely completely out of sorts but that's one play to set up another play that's what we talk about in football when we talk about sequential play calling and he's doing it and he's making it look good and he's making it work and I think that I think that Sark is a very good play caller I'm curious to see what the play design looks like looks like at Texas. But to circle back to this game, Smith is amazing. And Ohio State don't they only they play cover one, they play cover three. And when you get a quarterback in Mac Jones who can look a guy off to the left, and now you only have tough Borland trying to cover Devonta Smith to the right. Uh oh, we got a touchdown. <laughs> Was was it interesting to you how how often they targeted him early? I mean, it, it was certainly clear that he was going to be a big part of the, the the plan. But I also sort of wonder. I mean, we've seen different teams. Like obviously, Devonte Smith being good is not a secret, and we have seen defenses try to stop him or mitigate him, and it doesn't really work. That's why he won the Heisman. But I I was curious, you know, right out of the gate to go to him so much. And just kind of say, okay, this is our guy and you're going to have to figure out how to stop him. It was just sort of, it reminds me of like when an option team really gets going and you just know that they're saying, here is our best, you know, it's coming and you can't stop it. Well, it it, it felt like a big middle finger, right? To, to Ohio state, um, to their defensive backs, to the defensive coordinator. It was, oh, you think you're going to stop our guy? You're not going to stop our guy. We're going to hide him over here, and we're going to move him over here, and we're going to push him over here. And, oh, he's going to actually – he is going to get off the line against Sean Wade and prove that he can do that. And then he's also okay, – so, so there's a couple things that happen. And, 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 and one of them is 
they Ohio State plays a lot of left and right, left and right, left and right in terms of their secondary. And they don't play field and boundary like a lot of teams do. And they do play cover one and they play cover three. Cover one is man-to-man. Cover three, obviously, is cover three with the corners deep and the, and the middle safety, the one high safety. Because you got to commit that extra safety to the box because guess what? Alabama has Najee Harris. So maybe you need an extra guy in the box. But the thing that I saw was they tried to do what is a very old school NFL thing and I don't want to I don't want to like talk down anyone but it's a thing that the NFL, that NFL teams used to do uh, they did it against Randy Moss they did it against guys like Chris Carter or Jerry Rice it's an old NFL thing where you take your second corner and put him on their best wide receiver and then you take a safety and roll coverage over the top and they tried to bracket him that way. The problem was Alabama has enough window. This isn't these aren't three man routes. These are these are four and five man patterns. So that safety's got other things he's got to worry about. And we saw that happen on the touchdown to Borland, a, a, a touchdown over Borland, excuse me. It's it, it, there are other elements in there and 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 I think that Alabama lining lining Smith up to the left side of the formation instead of to the right side meant that they kept him away from Wade for most of the game. They challenge seven banks. Then they cha- they dare. Then they run those follow routes where they dare the safety. The safety has to make a decision: do I do I let Billingsley go up the field and I I just stay a stay focused in on six, or am I going to cover Mechie up the field or cover Mechie across the field, and then six gets behind me? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And putting guys in conflict because they this isn't a, again. This is a team that has a bunch of dogs. They got a bunch of guys that can make plays. Putting them in conflict is the problem, and Sark did a really good job of that so that he didn't allow them to be bracketed. And again, as I mentioned before, the best running back in college football is in the backfield waiting to get the ball, and he's amazing. And I don't know, you've met my wife a couple times, and you, you know my wife, and she's she loves she went to Michigan State, cousin played at Michigan State, she loves Michigan State football. It is truly a treat to watch these games with her because she has a true appreciation for the gap between what Najee or Devonta are mm-hmm. doing compared to people that play for her team. And that's that's not a knock on their team. It's more just like these guys are superhuman. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. 
Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point because, again, yeah, it's not a knock on Michigan State. It's just like, what is the average power five running back look like? What is their ceiling? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And then you compare that average, you know, kind of like faceless figure to Najee Harris. Yeah. One thing that really struck me, and I vote for a couple of these end of season awards. Um, I don't put a ton of stock into some of them but the fact that Alabama won basically every single position every single offensive skill position plus the best center plus the best offensive line that's why we're talking about this as one of the all-time great offenses because it wasn't just Devontae Smith it's what you're saying it's Najee Harris it's Mac Jones is basically perfect this year yeah and it's funny because the people who voted for him for the Heisman which there are some on our staff at The Athletic, have been saying, like, you know, everyone freaked out about Devontae Smith's numbers in the first half of this game, but Mac Jones threw him the ball, so his numbers are also crazy. Like, he didn't get enough credit in their minds from a lot of people for what he did because of how much talent was around him, whereas, like, Joe Burrow got a lot of individual credit when he also still had a lot of talent. Um, and I think that's a fine. That's an interesting argument. We can have that off- argument all off season, But – Every position on that offense was, if not the best player in the country at that position, one of the best players in the country at that position. And that's where the gap is over a team like an Ohio State, as we've talked about. I mean, yes, they had COVID issues. Defensive line was definitely impacted. They were not able to get much pressure Mm -hmm. on Mac Jones. But we're talking about a couple of teams each year that have rosters that have the dudes that can keep up or at least are built to keep up with teams like this. But then there's that last gap between Alabama and everyone else. It's, it's that they now, because of the way they build their rosters and orchestrate their offenses are getting the best skill position players at all of these positions as well. Oh, well they've, they've been, the, the scary part is they've been getting the best skill guys. They just haven't been using them. Right. And now they're using them. <laughs> now, yeah. Now they're using them. And I, I, I mean, it's unbelievable what they're able to do. And I know we're going to talk about some other stuff a little bit later, but like, I love the fact that they're using these guys. Cause remember we're not, we're, we're only five years removed from being, I me personally, personally being upset that OJ Howard didn't get the ball more. And it, like, how come you only have one wide receiver that makes a lot of catches? And then what are the other guys doing? Just blocking all the time. And now we're seeing them, they're playing with their whole hand. They don't need an ace. They've got kings and jacks and queens, and they got the whole deal ready to rock and roll. They they can play. It's it's and, and by the way, can we? I do want to flip it to the other side. Barmore had a, an amazing game. He looked great, and 
he looked like a little like a little he looked like a baby Marcel Darius and like that's that's he that's exactly like he looked like Marcel Darius out there running around and we know that Darius was a first round draft pick but he looked like that running around and then I, I promise you if you took the numbers off these linebackers you wouldn't be able to tell who was who and it's because Nick Saban and we, we you mentioned you hit on recruiting. I don't know if people know this, but he has height, weight, speed requirements for every position in recruiting. And that's why all the players look the same. That's why that's why when they get off the bus, they're terrified. <laughs> that's why that's why they could do those things. And we would I'd be remiss without mentioning the idea that like at the end of the day, like we can talk offense and offense is fun and it's flashing, it's cool and it's exciting and it, it got them the 52 points and the whole deal. But at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to take a sledgehammer and break you down. And they have a defense full of dudes that carry around sledgehammers. And Ohio State didn't get to um, try to exploit that defense as much as they maybe could have or should have. Your running back goes down because he gets absolutely smoked. I don't think people realize what that hit is. Like that hit that he took, that Trey Sermon took, he got smoked. And that's a guy flying around. And then obviously we see battle get tossed for targeting. But but it was also so early. I think that's yeah. what the Trey Sermon injury too. What was it? One play into the game, two plays into the game. I yeah. mean, one of the reasons that – we felt this could be a great game or that this Ohio state team paralleled the 2014 team was Ezekiel Elliott's run Mm -hmm. at the end of the season. And this offense before Trey Sermon got going struggled in the run game. It it was basically Justin Fields running and that was it. Master Teague was not doing anything close to what Trey Sermon was doing. Mm -hmm. So they sort of reverted back in that area. And then, I mean, Justin Fields wasn't perfect. He was perfect against Clemson. Yeah, and he he wasn't perfect in this game, but but the, I just don't think you can talk about it without talking about losing Trey Sermon right out of the gate and in the game. So you had no time to game plan or prep around potentially not having him. No, I I, I think you're spot on there. I also I think that at the end of the day, like Trey Sermon was one of their supermen, right? He felt like Superman coming into the game, or they were they. If you're if you're here, let me. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna equate it to this. Um, when I was at UNC, 2003, we played Florida State opening weekend. Uh, we're coming off a season where we had a. It wasn't a good season, but we had an All-American safety, Dexter Reed, and Greg Jones straight up bodied Dexter Reed. Now Dexter Reed was the guy that like taught me a ton about college football. Him and Gerald Sensible taught me a ton about it. I looked up to him. He was our best player on defense, and he got smoked. His helmet popped. They popped his top. Greg Jones popped his top, and after that, it was just like the air came out. We're like, oh, if our best player gets smoked, what what, what, what am I going to do? And I think the way that Sermon got he, got, he got hit hard. I think for a lot of fans, they, don't, they view it as like not a hard hit, and it didn't look that bad because it was him falling. That was, that was, that was them exerting like, we're going to be, ta- we're going to be tough. We're going to be powerful. And obviously Jordan battle getting thrown out of the game for targeting was another instance of, Hey man, we're going to take the guys that you think are tough and we're going to, we're going to punch them in the mouth. I feel like there were hard hits throughout the game. I mean, the, the play that Najee got hit on and then somehow stood up still and didn't lose the ball near the goal line. That was 
really a hard hit. It, it, it this game, there were a lot of injuries. Like it was a bummer that a bunch yeah. of players are limping around and injured in the second half that Devontae Smith didn't play in the second half, but they were hitting hard. Yeah. Like this was big boy football. I know that phrase gets turned used around, but it, it really was like, this was a different level than even Ohio state Clemson. Then even, you know, like it's again, certain teams can, can reach a certain level, but there was just a lot of that. And I think you're right. Coupling that early, the way they were hitting, the way Alabama was tackling in particular, coupled with the fourth down going for it, it was trying to take them out of the game by halftime. And then Nick Saban was giddy at halftime. He knew they had done it. He mm-hmm. was, first of all, that was a smile from him because that is what a smile looks like from Nick Saban. And second of all, it looked like he wanted an extra question from the sideline reporter, Allison Williams. He was giddy. They, he knew that they had the game at that point. Yeah. So all of those those first half decisions, the points of emphasis, it all worked. Yeah, it's it's it it it, it was beautiful, honestly. Like, and I I'm someone who thought Ohio State had a chance to keep it a one score game and then have a chance to win it late, but it was it was it, oh, it was beautiful to watch to watch somebody hulk up and just you know what? Let's be a bully. I'll do it today. And I'm going to come out here, and I am going to take your chocolate milk, and you're probably going to give me those Fritos too. So let's deal. Do you deal with that? And you let me know how what you think is going to happen because you're worried about getting in trouble, and what I'm worried about is the trouble I'm going to give you. And so it was. I love that, and it just was. I don't know. Saban was 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 all. He was he, Sark was great. Saban was great. The defense. The defense also knew. And, and, and here's the other thing: when you get hit like that, and I will say this: credit to Clemson for putting the idea of being demolished in the head of Justin Fields, which turned into him not wanting to run. He didn't keep it on most of those zone reads. He didn't keep it on any of the – they didn't call a lot of quarterback keeps. They didn't do any of those things. Justin Fields was like, no, 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 not me, not today. I got a future. And it's not – that's not – that's not me saying he's scared. That's me saying, hey, man – you get out there and do it because I guarantee you don't want to be hit by these boys either. That was so I think that came across. And I also think that there was a lot of Notre Dame fans and defenders pointing out now that you've seen this, it wasn't just us. It was welcome to our world. Look at what we were dealing with, what we were trying to stop. We held them to 31 points. Yep, They broke that 35 points or more 24 game consecutive game streak against Notre Dame. But it was like, okay, now you get it. Now you see what we've been dealing with. And every SEC fan base that played Alabama this year was kind of getting to that point of like, eh, there's just literally nothing you can do against these guys. But I think that it was cathartic for Notre Dame fans to see this happen because they had to end their game with Brian Kelly telling fans not to jump off a cliff. See, like and- that's how upset people were after they lost the way they did to Alabama. And then this was even more of a blowout. And and I guess the thing that I would posit, just this is me personally, this is the way that I kind of view it and just having, you know, kind of seen Saban and see I he had no respect for Notre Dame. So I would if I was a Notre Dame fan, I'd still be bothered. <laughs> Cuz he he had no respect for you. So he knew you right. weren't going to make him he, he knew you weren't going to make him chase. At least with Ohio State, he knew he had to kind of get out of his bag. He had to get into his bag to go and make something happen. 
because if you let them hang around, things are going to be in trouble. He knew Notre Dame wasn't going to hang around. And I think that's the difference. And you can point to the score, and we held them to this many. You didn't hold them to 30-something points. They just didn't feel like scoring. They let you hold them to yeah. 31 points. And it's okay. versus, this is a game yeah, where so, he was this is a game where he was like, I got to get to 40. Otherwise, I'm going to be in trouble. Yes, and obviously this game hit the over with 13 minutes left to play. Um, <laughs> oh, I wrote that down in my notes too. <laughs> I mean, for anyone who was, uh, you know, silly enough to, to bet the under, that was a tough one. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Felder, I, I want to go big picture here. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of danced around this topic about Nick Saban and just what an incredible job he did. He has now seven national championships. And I think what's more interesting is the divide in how he won them. He won four a certain way and these last three a different way. He would have been miserable, terrified by the final score of this game if he was told like that's how he won a national championship Mm -hmm. um that he gave up that many points like that that element of it he was building teams that could win nine to six and was was pleased with that what do you think it was that like so many of these coaches are so stubborn and they don't change and they don't want to adapt to the way the game is being played i like, what do you think it was within Nick Saban that drove him to do this? I mean, it really – Lane Kiffin and the way he started to open up this offense, use the skill guys that they had, and then they've just built on that since then. It's been a drastic shift. Like, I, I think that this is part of the reason he is the greatest of all time is that he was willing to do this and to win totally differently and, and change all of these pieces around him and be comfortable winning these games – but why do you think he did it? He doesn't like losing. You know? Like, this is a guy, this is a man that's, a, he's allergic to losing. And I think that's a good thing to be. He is, um, I mean, his. I read his book, and I, I'll be honest, I, I don't read a lot of books that change my life, but his book certainly did. Just looking at how, you, you control what you can control, how good do you want to be. It's awesome. Awesome book. Um, but for him, he looks at everything that he can control, and we've talked about this before when we talked about coaching situations. College football is about control. He is in a position – he puts himself in a position to control the most things, but the one thing he could not control was a running quarterback. Okay, so how do you control a running quarterback? I'm going to go out and get an offense that makes that running quarterback have to press and make decisions, and that's the only way I can control him because I can't control him by playing cover four or playing cover two or even playing cover one or cover zero. I can't control him by doing that, but the way I can control him 
is by keeping him on the sideline because my offense is out there scoring scoring points. I can control him by making him feel like he has to press to make plays. And then I have an opportunity to capitalize on mistakes or force mistakes. And I think that's the big key is he is a he's the ultimate control freak. Ultimate. But it helps him in this job specifically because the thing that he wanted to do was figure out how to control these other guys. And he's figured it out. He's cracked the code. And it did. I mean, this is a guy that wanted to win every team game, 17 to 10, like you mentioned, right? Like the LSU, the game of the century that was nine to six. He's like, that's, that's comfort. That's, I mean, that's, that's chicken noodle soup for his soul. Nine to six. Let's go, baby. Oh, 17, 10. Love this. So he had to get out of his comfort zone. And what caused it, I think, is Johnny Manziel. And not the Johnny Manziel game that they lost, 27-24, I believe is what the final score was on that one, but the game that they won, 48 to whatever it was. Yep. Yep. That's that. He was scared. He was like, guess what? We can't stop Mike Evans. <laughs> He's humongous. And my guys, it doesn't matter how well they play, they're not going to be able to stop him down the field if you just chuck and duck. It, it's Laquan Treadwell. Treadwell from Ole Miss and and look, Chad. We're talking about two guys that aren't. Are they in the? Are they even in the NFL? Chad Kelly and Johnny Manziel. Uh, I don't think Johnny Manziel is anymore. Right. No like, idea. We're not even talking about NFL guys. We're just talking about yeah. just two guys that could run around a little bit and throw the ball as far as they could and let big, huge wide receivers catch the football. And he's like, my guys can't do anything about it. And but but here here's another part of that. When you start to have those guys, then your defense gets to go up against those guys. Because yeah. like that's one thing that I think is also been clear as teams have tried to prepare to defend this Alabama offense is it's it's hard to replicate. Yeah, it's really it's hard to replicate because they've they listen they're eating fruit off every single tree. And it's it, they don't have like they don't have Julio Jones right now, but they've got another guy that can just run right past you and get wide open in Devonte in Devonte Smith, kid with springs. But the thing that for me, Nicole, the thing that I'm looking at is less prepare, preparation and more him being okay with. And I think that was the hardest part is getting okay with giving up 24, 35, 40 points. And Deshaun Watson is another example of. Oh, we played him twice, and we never stopped him. Not one yep. time. We never stopped him. The only way we stopped him was an onside kick because we couldn't let him get the football back. And I think all that kind of that quote-unquote strategery, he was like, this is a lot of extra work to get points because let's not forget, when it was Chad Kelly, when it was Ole Miss, they had two, um, they had to have two defensive touchdowns to equal that Ole Miss point total in 2008. Bought my house in 2015. So either 2015 or 2016, they'd have two defensive touchdowns so they could win that football game. And he's realizing, oh, this all, Jake, Jacob Coker, not going to cut it, baby. This yeah. is not going to work for us. We got to do something else. And he did something else. And, and I think one of the greatest coaching moves in all of college football is, and it speaks to how stubborn he was, but then how much he loves winning is putting Tua in the game in the second half. Because they knew what they had. They knew he was better. They knew he should be the starter. Everybody knew that. You could see on the sideline, all the players were like, yes, finally. And you put him in, and then he hasn't looked back since then. He has not looked back since the moment when he realized, I'm going to lose to Georgia if I don't put this kid in the game, which speaks to him playing freshman, 
and speaks to him being willing to change who he is. And I think it's really important to note that because there's a lot of coaches out there. I mean, let's be real. Kirby Smart, the guy that lost that national championship game to Nick Saban, he refused to put George Pickens as a starter for eight or nine games, even though he was the best receiver on that football team uh, two, uh, a year ago, 2018, or excuse me, 2019. Didn't put him, didn't list him, didn't want to list him as a starter because he was a freshman, thought that somebody else should get it done. No, not going to happen. So I think Saban's evolution is remarkable. I am, I'm fascinated by him. I love to study him. I've, he's really helped with my evolution and, and, and how I think about football. And so, you know, props to him, like getting another title and like, he's the, he's the best. Like I, I'm not even going to, I don't need this for last call. I got another last call that I'm going to do. And- I was going to say, this is starting to veer into, to, to that territory, the gushy end of the night. You know, I, I love you guys vibe, but I know you've got one that, you know, you've been literally crying about yeah. all day. So, um, Let's go there. Let's go there because you are feeling sentimental. It is the end of the season. You love Nick Saban. You love certain pieces of this Alabama team. They were very likable. There was just there's such a human element to this team. Um, let's go. Last call. All right. I so I've had multiple people ask me, did I think that they did something wrong with Jalen Waddle getting to play? He clearly was limping. He wasn't healthy. And my answer is no. This kid wants to go out there and at least do something to help his team win a national championship, and he did. And then we got him, you know, we found, he found some binge because he got hurt and he's, he's been hurt, but he's not going to hurt himself more from what, everything that I understand. And that meant a lot like that, 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 that speaks to the mentality that Saban creates in these players, right? Where they don't want it for free, right? Right. Like these guys don't, they don't want you to give them anything. They want to earn it. And for Waddle, that meant getting in the game and, and, and picking up a first down or doing whatever it took to get in. And then the, and, and yeah, it's going to happen again. <laughs> Yeah, and Landon Dickerson getting into the game to do that final, just to just to kneel it out. That meant so much to him and to this team and to those guys. And it that's the stuff that I love about college football. Like I don't care about what fan base or what what. <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't care about narratives, and I don't care about a lot of this stuff that people seem to think rules the sport. But for me, it is, and maybe it's because it's a shared experience, but those guys being together, it meant something to him. And then his backup saying that this is a guy that helped change my life and then forced into action, he went out and did his job. And he did his job to make sure that that Dickerson was ready and Dickerson to come out and, and be a captain and to get to do those snaps, a guy that's playing on a bum knee right now, to get to do that, that's... That's the beauty of what this sport can be. It's probably what the sport should be. And I think a lot of folks are so interested in bragging rights and, and, and talking trash and all this yada, yada, yada that you miss out on things that make this sport special. And that it, it just, it, it really, Nicole, it meant a lot to me to see that and to know that like this is, this isn't, that wasn't some like, you know, garbage Bobo, like Rudy throw your jersey down moment that was a real hey we we love each other and we care and we want to make this happen and even like you can call them a meaningless play but the reality is these kids on this team with Nick Saban 
they want to earn something and they want to earn it and they want it to be done that way and they want it to be done the right way and they want it everybody everybody wants to put their skin in the game and for him to go out there without it basically without a knee and get the job done you know just i don't know that's that's the i don't that's that's the way that i would would want to go out too is with my boys and knowing that this is my you know it's my last ride and this is what i'm doing and we're together and i don't know just like that yeah yeah i am getting like i'm crying and like you know i'm gonna probably gonna have to have a shot like this is that but that's what last call is right (laughs) it it is um i I think it was the a a great way to end what has been a really hard season for, for so many people and that's where i want to go with my last shot and and i i know i've spoken this way before on this podcast but i don't think the players got enough credit for what they did this year and they don't and so i'm gonna repeat myself they did not get enough credit for what they did this year and they they wanted a chance to play they wanted a chance to play they had the we want to play movement they spoke up they were talking about that opportunity, what they were willing to sacrifice from a social life perspective, family, seeing family, you know, six feet away. And that's the closest you're going to get for six months or longer. They sacrificed all of the things about college that make college great. It's all about being in person near people in classes, yep. you know, having, you know, getting food parties it that's it's about being there and they didn't have any of that and i don't even think we're at the tip of the iceberg of of attempting to understand the mental impact of the solitude and the isolation and everything that people have been going under but they did all of that to have a chance to have these seasons for for these individual teams i know it's kind of you know i i sometimes mock you know the teams that count their team like they're like this is the 135th team at you know the university of michigan or whatever it is but each year's team is special and different and there's only a finite amount of time that those guys and that dynamic get to take place. And that's why when people fought to play this season, it was about that team that they were on getting to have that season with them. And, you know, there were definitely different motivations. There were definitely coaches and players who wanted to play more than others. There were ones that like Ohio state clearly you know, it was laser focus. It was about getting to this stage. They felt like they had a mm-hmm. team that could do it and they got there and they got to try and that's what they wanted. But part of the reason I think Nick Saban was reacting the way that he did when they won was because I think he really liked this team. He loved this team. He loved his players and he knew he, he said it right. That this was for the players, like some of these other championships, whatever. But this one was so clearly for this team because of all of the sacrifices that they had to make to have a season happen. And I think that they deserve the credit. I mean, yes, the coaches had to live under these protocols. Some of these coaches like James Franklin, Dave Clawson, like we're living away from their families. I don't want to take anything away from that, but this, but what the players had to do, just to give themselves a chance to do this thing that they love mm-hmm. um, was a big deal. And so when I think back about the 2020 season, I will first think about that and, and what they did day in and day out to a get through a semester to yeah. be on zoom, take classes, all of these things. 
and to try to be as safe as possible, try to follow rules, try to get games in, dealing with going in and out of hotels if you needed to quarantine or isolate and, you know, games getting canceled day of, all of these different things happening and dealing with that, rolling with the punches, being flexible. But I think the team that won it all this year was a team that played 10 SEC games. They played, you know, two really good teams in the college football playoff. They played Florida in the SEC championship. Like the reason we're going to be able to compare them to past Alabama teams is because of what they accomplished and, and how they got there in the most challenging set of circumstances yet. So, so I just want to say, cause I, I think that moment that you got emotional about and talked about was the way to end it for a season that it was about the team that, mates playing for each other and having that opportunity to get to do that that wasn't guaranteed and and i think that that was something that john swaffer told me as i was kind of talking to some of these commissioners about the finish line here was that none of this was guaranteed and so when you get to a championship game you get to this stage of the season you need to appreciate it because we you, you almost didn't have it and that's where like you can have all of those arguments about, you know, how college football was played or, you know, testing or protocols or college campus environments, whatever. It's all in the past. It happened. You know, this argument of like, you know, should they have played or not is in the past. But this is why they did it. Yeah. It was for those moments and for Landon Dickerson at the very end. It's someone that the entire fan base and the country cares about. And they care about him because they can see how their teammates care about him and they know his story and they know all these things. That's what they played for. And so that's my last call at the end of the season at the finish line. I'm really glad that it ended on that note to remind us that this was about the players and this was about the land Dickerson's out there getting to have this season, getting to have a chance and, uh, and getting to do it with this team. That's not going to look the same next year because it never does. So we got a little sentimental today, but I think that's okay. It's the end of the season. We're allowed to be a little sentimental. Um, Rate, review, and subscribe. (laughs) Rate, review, and subscribe us. We might be more sentimental if we uh, if we get good reviews about the the crying from from Michael Felder. (laughs) He's he's broken down at the end of the season. Yeah, a little softy in there after all. But yes, we will um, be back again. As I said, Power Hour is not going anywhere this off season. We like to think that we cover this sport and the landscape a little differently than everybody else. So we will continue to do that. I'll bring on some other friends and guests um, throughout the off season as well, but be sure to subscribe, rate and review the Andy Staples and friends feed. And uh, for Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach and uh, we're closing the books on the 2020 college football season. We'll see you soon. 